This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I'm your host, Matt, joined by Pastor Michael. Pastor Michael, do you want to know a statement that's it's hard to beat in truth? Uh, I, I, I'm very ready. Let's do it. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that is why we are glad today to be joined by the hosts of the Bobcast. Welcome to Restless, guys. Hey, thanks. Thank it's both. good to be here. Cool. Andrew and Caleb, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves, whatever you want people on the internet to know, and about the Bobcast. Well, uh, number one, uh, I am not Dutch. Uh, I am Mexican. Uh, I have been grafted into the Dutch Reformed churches by the workings of the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> right now, I am a, uh, I'm in my final semester at Mid-America Reformed Seminary in Dyer, Indiana, a very Dutch uh, Reformed seminary. You walk in there and there's peppermints and grandfather clocks and paintings of <laughs> Amsterdam and whatnot. Wow. Uh, and yes, after uh, seminary, I hope to get uh, ordained in the United Reformed Churches of North America uh, as a minister. Uh, with that ordination, most likely I'll get, uh, you know, a, a new addition to my name, uh, Reverend uh, Caleb Van Castro, Ooh. or perhaps Caleb <laughs> Castrozma. We'll see. <laughs> Good to be with you guys. And uh, I've been on before. Uh, I was in Alaska, but now I am in Hills, Minnesota, in a Dutch community here, serving at one of the United Reformed Churches, doing pulpit supply and preparing for my ecclesiastical exams. I am also not Dutch. <laughs> According to the ancestry test that my sister took, we're about 99% English, so very boring. Um, but I'm a graduate of Westminster Seminary, California. Um and yeah, also uh, seeking Lord willing ordination in the URCNA, one of the Dutch reformed denominations here in the US and Canada. So really quick, though, because I'm not Dutch either, but you must be some Dutch, huh? I am not. <laughs> so this is, we are not much, evidently. We're, none of us. We are. I didn't claim to be much, but today that's why we are discussing with these guys, Herman Bovink. So Andrew, I don't know if you uh, know this, but when you were on our show, your episode, I don't know if it's because of your dulcet uh, English descended tones. It was a favorite episode of many of our listeners. Really? Yeah. So guys, tell us a little bit about the Bobcast before we jump into um, just talking about uh, Herman Bovink for a little while today. Yeah, so we've been doing Bobcast now for almost two years. Uh, we started at the height of covid we were quarantined we had nothing better to do so us along with our friend mark scatero who's also was a student at westminster california uh, we talked about doing this show for a while we liked bob inc we thought it would be a good opportunity to dive into his works and so we started doing that um uh, after a few months, Mark, because of the demands of church and family, had to move on, but we've kept it going. Uh, going through works like Herman Boving's Wonderful Works of God, his short systematic theology, we've been doing that from the beginning, as well as taking up other topics, other guests related to Boving, related to 
Reformed theology, particularly of our Dutch Reformed and Continental Reformed uh, strain of thoughts. And it's been good. It's been, I think, helpful to us and hopefully helpful to our listeners as well. I've really enjoyed some of the episodes I've listened to um, about Reformed theology. I was, I really liked the stuff you guys did on the Noahic Covenant in particular, but that was just because that was a interest to me. And yeah, listening to some of your interviews with uh, some of the uh, Bavink bros in the the uh, academic world has been great. And so I think if you were looking to go deeper uh, into Reformed theology, I think you guys would, yeah, the Bobcast would be a great place to go. So we're doing something here on the show as we try and widen widen the world, open the world to us is we're having people come on from with different levels of expertise and different on different topics and tell us the five things we should know about it. Because we are, as Five Point Calvinists, committed to, there are really only five things you need to know about any person or theological system. Everything can be broken down into fives. Because that has not caused any problems in understandings of Reformed theology <laughs> ever. That's yeah. why. The, so. alter- the alternative is being a good pastor and uh, doing a three points, right? That is true. A good old three-point sermons. That is true. And so uh, we are, uh, limiting things to five is helpful in that um it prevents us from doing the Puritan thing where it's like, here are the 96 things you should know about Herman Bovink and his <laughs> yep. theology. And, and the title to my book is three paragraphs long. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> so guys, uh, in, in case it's not one of your five things, uh, tell our listeners who may not know, just tell them who Herman, Herman Bovink was. Yeah. And in short, Herman uh, Bovink was, a 19th century uh, theologian. Uh, he, his work did go into the early 20th centuries, dying in the 1920s. Uh, but he came out of a, a period of uh, separation from a uh, state church that had uh, really liberalized uh, and gone askew, even denying, you know, things of uh, Christ's uh, divinity and the incarnation. So we're talking like real, real liberalism. Uh he uh, he was raised as a, a, a PK, a, a pastor's kid, um, thoroughly sound in the tradition uh, of this church split on the conservative side. Uh, and he would eventually um, himself go into uh, academics. Uh, he would uh, do a doctoral work. Uh, he would, um, which we'll, we'll get into these uh, in just a little bit, actually. But uh, yeah, he would be a pastor, a theologian, uh, a political statesman. He would have engaged in work in psychology and education. Pretty much if there was uh, an area of life to grab onto, he'd be involved in it. Uh, he was very much falling in the way of uh, uh, his friend and something of a predecessor, you could say, um, Abraham Kuyper, uh, who himself had this principle of Christianity as an entire life system, a world and life view. That's great. So... Tell us, number one, what is one of what is the first of the five things we should know about Bob Inc.? So I think something important as we look back on the Young, Restless, and Reformed movement, which of which I was a part, uh, I think it's important to understand that these terms Calvinism and Reformed, they actually mean something. It's not... <laughs> what? I know, right? Wow. <laughs> it's not a mere five points of tulip and then whatever you want to 
mix in with it. And this was an issue that Herman Bovink was dealing with in his day, him and Kuiper and others. They were a part of a movement known as neo-Calvinism that emerged in the late 20th or late 19th century in the Netherlands. Not to be confused then with new, with Calvin. new Calvinism. Yes. Like right. talk a lot about on the show. Right. Yes. Totally different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe just to briefly sketch out some of the differences. Uh, Neo-Calvinism, as Caleb was saying, uh, was associated with this idea of a world and life view. So Kuiper probably along with Bob Inc. being one of its most influential figures, he's known for things like his idea of sphere sovereignty, uh, taken up in his lectures on Calvinism and in other places, talking about essentially how does Christianity and other cultural institutions like government and science and those sort of things relate to one another. Um, but another thing about neo-Calvinism that would distinguish it from new Calvinism is that neo-Calvinism is thoroughly confessional. Uh, the Dutch Reformed Church is holding to the three forms of unity and their theology and their church practice and that being grounded in that, being grounded in things like the church order of the Synod of Dort, which has gone through various uh, various stages of being handed down to the churches that came after. So. Yeah, we actually have a quote here from uh, Herman Bovink writing in, uh, now note the year, 18, uh, 1894. This was put out in a, a journal uh, of the uh, the Presbyterian and Reformed Review, um, uh, old journal from, uh, if I recall, Princeton. So January 1894, Bovink says, Calvinism is a specific type among the Protestant churches and confessions. Frequently, this type is designated by the name of Reformed. The words reformed and Calvinistic, however, though cognate in meaning, are by no means equivalent, the former being limited and less comprehensive than the latter. Reformed expresses merely a religious and ecclesiastical distinction. It is a purely theological conception. And that's where Andrew was speaking of uh, reformed uh, in terms of a confessional identity, uh, in terms of shared doctrines and dogma that are professed and adhered to by not just one Christian, but whole groups of Christian in fellowship and accountability to one another. Bobbin continues, though, the term Calvinism is of wider application and denotes a specific type in the political, social, and civil spheres. This is that sphere sovereignty Andrew was saying. It stands for that characteristic view of life in the world as a whole, which was born from the powerful mind of the French reformer. Calvinist is the name of a reformed Christian insofar as he reveals a specific character in distinct physiognomy, not merely in his church and theology, but also in social and political life in science and art. So you could say it is reformed thinking, reformed beliefs put into uh, specific worldviews and actions how do you live what you believe everywhere because as christians we don't leave our faith at the door when we leave the church right the, the church building it goes with us everywhere that's gold pastor michael do you have any questions or thoughts on on number one here yeah no that's fascinating just thinking you know in terms of our context especially um, where you know calvinism was limited down to uh just a you know a couple of doctrines even those were kind of like you know give or take 
but in a lot of ways, um, the you know new the new Calvinist movement was more so a social cultural movement, mm-hmm. and so I'm just I'm just trying to think uh, how these two things uh, you know it it interests me. I know that they're not the same thing; they don't really overlap even necessarily. But but to hear that he speaks of Calvinistic as primarily uh, almost social cultural. Uh, the, the a world it's embody a world more, more of a worldview yeah that's a, than a set of doctrines mm-hmm. that's really interesting which, mm-hmm. which which is kind of the reverse of what we've done and even what we do on the show is right because in new calvinism when you said i'm a calvinist all that meant were the five points and so we've said reform describes a actually broad set of confessional reform theology which is kind of what he's using it but he says to say i'm a calvinist actually refers to you applying reform theology the way Calvin did to right various spheres. Um, yeah. And actually that's uh, if uh, Andrew wants to speak a little more on that, uh, that he, he's pulling this idea very much from Abraham Kuyper and his uh, lectures on Calvinism, where basically Kuyper is saying, look, the Islams aren't just a, a, a religious institution or a set of religious beliefs. It's a whole uh, life system, okay, that they have uh, ways of particular living distinct to them. And same with Roman uh, Roman Catholics, particularly in that period. I don't know, uh, Andrew, anything else with that? I do think one thing we do need to add as we look at these definitions of Calvinism and look at this idea of neo-Calvinism, just a caveat, there are some, as with many good ideas and good uh, systems of theology and whatnot that have taken it off to places where maybe it shouldn't go and doesn't belong. There is a particular strain uh, that could be known in more like academic circles as like neo-Kyperians, where they essentially, you know, take some of this foundation of, of, of Calvinism as a Christian world and life view and really press it into like this over-realized eschatology, trying to redeem this world, redeem this creation, where the focus becomes very much uh, too much on things like social justice and things of that sort. And so there, there is some caution to be expressed mm-hmm. there. Um, I think a lot, of the pro- a lot of the problems come where the idea and the energy and the 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 praxis of wanting to apply these things gets unmoored from its confessional and biblical Mm -hmm. basis yeah Yeah. and i think that is something even potentially in our after this interview i would i would be interested in uh you know right the thing you shouldn't do is you should never do the calvin versus the calvinist but i would be interested Mm -hmm. in a bit in doing potentially some of the neo-calvinists versus Bavink and Kuiper. That would be probably not interesting to our whole audience, but it's something <laughs> I'd be very interested in. So, mm-hmm. all right, that was, that's great. Give us number two. What's the second thing we should know about Bavink and his theology? Well, the, uh, this actually flows out from that first one. So if, if, if Bavink in, uh, in his ilk around that time, uh, see Calvinism as something of an outworking of the reform beliefs, uh, additionally, Theology is for church life. Hmm. I, I think basically to put this in a nutshell, um, you know, the, theology is a fun thing. We get to think about God. It's, you know, it, it's that that's the base of it. It's a very uh, worthy uh, endeavor. But us who get interested in 
uh, if you will, the Calvinistic things, the, the, the Calvinistic nuances, Reformed theology, we can get very caught up on the intellectual side of it and forget that theology isn't meant to be a uh, just a contemplative exercise. It's not just supposed to be us sitting in ivory towers or nice uh, armchairs and whatnot. Uh, pontificating on, you know, the things that the little people can understand. No, theology has a head, heart, and hands in mind. It is always for the church and service of the church. And the moment we disconnect that, we lose uh, the whole point of theology. Mm -hmm. I think something, too, applying this to the young, restless, and reformed is... uh, I know I, I had some of these issues early on and, and others who have as well. When you come from a not reformed or not Calvinistic background and you discover these doctrines, you can suddenly become like very like hostile and very divisive and causing problems in whatever church you're a part of. Say it, the cage stage. Yeah, Weird. The cage I, don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, it never, it never happened to us, but maybe it was for you. That's right. Born sages. Where, yeah. where you have these guys there imbibing so much of this new theology and good theology, but kind of just doing it as a solo exercise. And they almost mm. become like a terror, a problem to their churches. And what good is theology if it's not done the way that he intends us to do it, which is in the community of faith in the body uh, with and for each other. Um, I'm a big fan personally of the idea that if somebody becomes reformed, they should get in a reformed church if they can. I know a lot of people try to stay behind and think, well, I'm going to change it. I'm going to, I'm going to get everybody else to come with me because if they just heard it, they'd believe. And and that never really seems to work out that well. (laughs) And most people aren't willing to put in your entire life, which is what that will take. You know, like it's, it's not going to happen in the next year. Um, it's going to be the rest of your life if that's your endeavor and probably your children's lives too, if you're trying to, you know, uh, change an entire tradition of a church. Man, all I have to add is definitely <laughs> amen to what Caleb said on theology. How does that work out in what Bavink does in his system of thought? How does he do theology for the church? Um, well, there's there's two uh, <clears throat> there's two facets of it. Um, one uh, one is kind of a, the approach, but uh, and the second will be kind of I guess you could say a, a, an example of how he actually what it looks like for him. Um, one is that uh, it's it's always uh, from the foundation of scripture. You cannot get away from uh, doing theology if you have not done uh, exegetical studies or it's simply even just going to scripture. And studying it exhaustively in uh, its range of topics, not proof texting. But mm-hmm. second, you you go and uh, you look throughout church history on what various theologians have said concerning that uh, the, those same scriptural passages that you are looking at. So you, in other words, don't do theology isolated. You don't do theology by yourself. You're not a lone gunslinger in the wild west trying to you know, uh, be a theological vigilante putting down, you know, errors, you uh, have to look at what other voices have said. And the number one place for that is in the confessions uh, throughout various traditions. Then you come to your answers, merging scripture, confession, 
and uh, presenting it now for a different time in your own context. Um, for Bob Inc., uh, Andrew actually uh, wrote, uh, we're, we're writing some notes on this. Andrew actually wrote this note down that, uh, you know, Bob Inc. was a pastor. Um, he was only a pastor for a year, but he was very, very, very active in church matters. Um, and he was around in a time where there was a bit of a church uh, battle in his own denomination. Um, some of the kind of more traditional or super conservative guys with the a uh, little bit more Kyperian neo-Calvinist guys were butting heads on how to do things. Uh, Bobbing was at the center of uh, keeping hostilities down and trying to find a mediating voice. Mm. Um, you know, he, 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 schism was not something that we do uh, lightly. Um, I mean, that, that, and that's especially what Andrew's point is there in, you know, we don't just try to go around causing problems and bashing them over the head with, you know, theological fine points, but we should seek to always do what maintains uh, love in our discussions. And in fact, continuing on what Caleb said about schism, Bob Inc. was very instrumental in something the opposite of a schism, helped to bring two separate groups that had broken off of the Dutch state church. So there was the I'm going to butcher these pronunciations, but the the Gerefermd Kerk, the (laughs) better known as the Christian Reformed Church, and itself was the forerunner of the Christian Reformed Church in North America as their members immigrated to the U.S. and Canada. But that was the group Bavink had grown up in. His father was a pastor, was in. And then there was a later offshoot group uh, known as the Dolianti, and this was the group that Abraham Kuyper was a part of. And so Kuyper and Bavink together along with others worked to orchestrate a merger of these two churches you know basically having common cause having rejected the liberalism of the state church and worked to bring that unity and it took a while and it took a lot of fighting at the ecclesiastical level some very contentious synods and other meetings but but it was something that Bob Inc. even no longer being a pastor because he only was a pastor for that one year early in his career as a professor, still remained active and interested in trying to help the church in whatever way that he could. Do you have any questions or comments on this? No, that's great. Um, I think it's a great example. I think you see it even um, in his systematic theologies where, right, we do exegesis of scripture. He does kind of a historical overview of the doctrine, and then he kind of gives his uh, uh, synthesis, not to use a loaded term for uh, what he then does. Um, And so I think I think in that way, his uh, systematics are a really helpful intro to people because you get this this solid reform scriptural work, but you also get a review of everything that went went before. So tell us then number three. Well, we'll uh, and we'll actually come back to a small point on this uh, later on uh, on the systematic there. Um, but for number three, this also is connected to that, uh, those first two points. Um, church life is public. We always want to uh, keep in mind. Um, and some people maybe have an easier time with this than others. Um, you know, church, church life is public. It's not just private. But some do struggle with the idea of what is my place as a Christian in culture? What, and really, that, that's one of the big Christian questions in the first place. Uh, how should I then live? Right. What um, 
and we we always want to remember, as I had uh, mentioned a bit ago, our Christian life doesn't end when we are leaving the church building. Uh, And neither does the church cease to be the church when the service ends. We need to contemplate how do we take the, uh, the liturgy, the whole service, and the things we hear in the sermon to be equipped uh, for righteousness and good works in all places, um, to paraphrase uh, 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. So it's how does the church live? Um, Andrew has a couple points on this as well. Yeah. So like you can see this, how this works out in Boving's life. For one thing, you see it in the topics he writes about. There's a book. It's a compilation of essays called uh, Essays on uh, religion, science, and society. I believe that's the title. Um, and he's talks in it about all kinds of different issues, but among other things, one we've taken up on our show before, uh, he did one on beauty, art, and aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And we actually uh, had uh, Dr. Alan Strange from Mid America Reform Seminary on and come and talk about that, uh, thinking about how this. Calvinism is an inclusive world in life. You even affects how we think about art, uh, how we think about science. How do we engage with sciences? You know, Bavink famously thought and wrote that theology was the queen of the sciences that had a seat at the table with other sciences, something that's kind of been lost in our day. Uh, Bavink was very concerned in education, not just education at the seminary university level. He was very interested in those you know, for instance, with that church merger I talked about earlier, there came issues of, okay, so where are our pastors going to be trained? Would they be trained at the school in Compton where Bob Inc. had been teaching and had traditionally been the CRC school, or would they go to Kuiper's new Free University of Amsterdam, uh, helping to work out those issues and the best way to train pastors and scholars, but then also even school more generally, an issue that he dealt with in his political engagement, because Bob Inc. was also a politician and held elected office in the Netherlands. Like, what about funding for schools? Should Christian schools get state funding? Um, And how should that all work out? Basically engaging with these issues as a Calvinist, engaging with these things to the glory of God and living all of life, not just church life or personal life before the face of God. And a, uh, a note on that with the, uh, the education, too. Um, yeah, they weren't uh, necessarily, uh, th- these neo-Calvinists and Bob Inc. and whatnot weren't uh, simply interested in, say, a parochial school, right? A church-run school. Mm-hmm. But uh, as Andrew was uh, noting there, free schools, including for, um, L- uh, you know, for public, or pardon me, for, uh, uh, for primary, elementary, and whatnot. Um, Bob Inc. very much would uh, devote a lot of his attention in writing after his uh, dogmatics, the 1910s onwards to the end of his life, focused on uh, education, on pedagogical theory. Hmm. Uh, one thing he was really insistent on was the inadequacy of the direction of uh, the public schools uh, and the, I, this idea of like a secular education that education, uh, something we very much still see today, is geared towards um, pretty much utilizing uh, an evolutionary uh, theory, biologically oriented evolutionary theory. How do you go and uh, 
basically move everyone into a uh, problem solving, productive manner, uh, equipping them for going and working in a large scale industry. No, he thought that education needed to be tailored very much to the individuals and bringing them out in their critical thinking concerning uh, uh, the starting place of uh, who God is and what he has done. So it, what informed their, uh, what informed uh, the manner in which a student themselves is to think was what does God say? And then going from there. Mm-hmm. Well, Pastor Michael, what do you think? Bavink is based, right? <laughs> is, that, is that what we're supposed to take out of this? I think more. Well, yeah. yeah. It, it does say that it is. Yes, right. Bavink is based. You guys can take that idea. For that's, free. That's all yours. <laughs> I might right. get it too if you make it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> With your awesome sunglasses on him. Uh-huh. Um, no, we uh <laughs> it's it's interesting to think about uh the importance of of how theology plays out in every area of life. And obviously that's always been uh pretty central to the you know to uh reformed understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. Um there's not a sharp sharp divisions all over the place, but um but it is, it's interesting to think about that, especially again, you know, coming from a, a new Calvinist podcast, thinking about how poorly that was done. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. So uh, thinking about how poorly, like uh, entering into the culture or, or using, you know, the culture in some way um, for the expansion of the kingdom, um, rather than it sounds to me anyway, and I have uh, confessed already that I am, I've not read a, much, if at all, of Bob Inc. And so I'm not very familiar with him. Uh, but uh, it it seems to me that uh, what you have here is a much deeper meditation upon the things of God, upon the scriptures, and then that naturally playing out in how you see everything else, rather than just a, a kind of cheap, quick, hey, we can just use different cultural items. We can just use different educational theories. We can just use whatever, as long as we're using it in the purpose of of this kind of uh, uh, growth of the church. Hmm. I think it's funny you say that too. Sorry. We're talking over each other, just like we do on our own show. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. I I think it's important too, to, to consider that, especially in our day, like there's a lot of difficulty and controversy about how is it that Christians, even as reformed Christians, do we engage the world? And like, If you look at, for instance, a lot of the discussion online, like on one side, you'll see a lot of pull towards like theonomy and these ideas of uh, of we can just chapter and verse exhaustively try to do the mosaic law. And I mean, a lot of people have been uh, have found appeal in that. And then on the on the opposite end, you can get like these extreme forms of uh, of like a two kingdoms theology where it's really not even a legitimate enterprise for Christians to think about or engage with the broader culture. That's don't worry, Westminster West. Andrew still, still loves you. We don't <laughs> Yeah. see how much trouble I get in now. But, um, Canceled. But, yeah. but, but just to say, I, I think that, that Bob Inc along with Kuiper and others from this era and in this movement kind of help us to maybe, navigate the space between and come to a more happier medium a healthier idea of engagement that yes we can there's just a certain way we need to do it and ways we need to think about it and to engage rightly that's uh 
yeah, and that, that's a fine point in there with, uh, if you notice, um, it's not a repristination uh, of theology, uh, what, what's going on there uh, with the neo-Calvinists. They're, uh, they're not just going back and grabbing onto uh, everything, you know, just Calvin says this, the Puritans say that, and then saying we need to be Puritans just like in the 16th, 17th century. Uh, neither are they saying that we just need to be separate and retreat from society. The, that's, those are inadequate options. Uh, this, is a, this is a Calvinism or a, a theology for our own day and age, uh, just as then in the 19th century for Bob Inc. Uh, and Kuiper, but so as today. What does our faith mean for us, uh, and, and how do we actually put it in exercise? Uh, and let's not run away from the difficult questions that science puts towards us or just poo-poo it all. Uh, I just had to say that word poo-poo, but let's actually try to, to give real answers. What's that? I said, you're welcome to use that kind of language here on restless. <laughs> we listen to Mark Driscoll clips. It's okay. <laughs> well then. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew does a great impression, but um, I, I think quite honestly, if, uh, if nothing else, this, this is quite, quite frankly, just for the reasons you guys are saying, this is help we need because um there are you know we are you know the whether it be the new calvinist variety or the, or the theonomist variety um you know that these have been promised and i just think that you know we are we are more rooted in you know the other group of people who listen to our show are the people who we lovingly call truly reformed um <laughs> and may have a lot of um good southern presbyterian tendencies but when you talk about cultural reformation or engagement that's immediately red like flag, red we're gonna, we're gonna red flag you right there and <laughs> mm-hmm. um and i i quite i quite honestly think why do why do the why does such a fringe um belief like theonomy why is that attractive because everyone else says don't talk about it <laughs> right and if that if those are your options it's like well i i have to live in the world don't i yeah. And and mm-hmm. these guys are saying I can live it all by the verses from Moses. And these guys are saying we don't talk about it, right? It only I can only look up Gary North books because no one else is writing on, you know, <laughs> economics <laughs> or whatever. Um, and so yeah. I think that this is um this is that's just as you guys said, this is the kind of help we need today. So that's that's really helpful. So mm-hmm. let's do number four before we get fully sidetracked on this, because we could talk about <laughs> this one. Certainly, oh, definitely for the rest of the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, number four uh, goes back a bit to um, a moment ago. We we're speaking of how Bob Inc. and his uh, and his dogmatics. Uh, after going through that biblical uh, exegetical portion, he starts talking about history and the views of other theologians. Well, if you notice something with that, he's not just talking. Uh, he's not just quoting Reformed theologians. He is uh, engaging with Lutherans, uh, with Roman Catholics, and modernists, even uh, philosophers and whatnot. Uh, so he was he was citing the the liberals and using them, evaluating their 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 arguments and seeing where they had something legitimate to say, not to just throw them out with the uh, the baby with the bathwater, but uh, also uh, showing where they were just dead wrong in their assessment and why. Uh, with this. Number four is that um, we want to engage opponents rightly, even mm. those we disagree with. We want to 
properly represent people's arguments. Don't just put up straw men uh, just because they're, you know, you're going to cast someone into the mold of an Arminian or a Roman Catholic. Make sure you understand their arguments individually and the nuances in those positions before you go and uh, 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 attack them. Mm. You know, polemics is, uh, can be a very divisive thing. It can be a good tool, but it's, it cuts pretty hard. Yeah. You could do some serious damage. And Bob Inc. modeled this in his life. I mean, he was recognized not just among Christian academics, but even in like the secular academy. Uh, as a gentleman, he was somebody who would be fair. He would be, he would be kind. He would, so, I mean, he would be given like posts in the, I don't remember the name of it, but the basically Academy of Science there in the Netherlands because they recognized that that he did good work, even if they disagreed with him. Mm. But I think another thing too, though, there can be another temptation in our day. Uh, we can want to go too hard on the polemics and, and destroy our opponents. But on the flip side, we can maybe try to pretend like differences don't exist. I think we've mm. seen this a lot recently mm -hmm. and a lot of people being like, for instance, drawn from Reformed theology into Anglicanism or Lutheranism or even to Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy because well I mean they're you know doing generally the same kind of stuff or people come up with reasons to try to minimize those differences and Bobbing doesn't do that hmm. I mean he definitely he's thoroughly reformed he's thoroughly confessional and he's always going to come back to that but he's fair to his opponents but he doesn't also like compromise he doesn't assimilate with them either yeah, I mean, and then in their, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, he, you engage with them in their proper ring. Uh, in the, if you're doing theological writings and whatnot, um, you know that that's a very suitable place to go and address uh, theological errors. But Bob Inc. and uh, Kuiper um, didn't have an issue with working together with Roman Catholics in the Netherlands uh, on social matters. Uh, you know, they're they're. For example, of today, I mean, the majority of Roman Catholics, uh, yeah, we have very different theologies, opposing even, yet they're also some of the closest uh, allies, if you will, um, on terms regarding uh, pro-life, anti-abortion measures. We shouldn't have much issue with working on them in those capacities. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a helpful point. Um, you know, anytime that you are trying to work out the lines in between you and others, which are important, right? Like the, the, those are the two potential pitfalls, right? On the one hand, um, you don't draw any lines and all of a sudden it's just a giant postmodern mess. And obviously that's very much where we are. Mm -hmm. But in response to that, what then happens is we want to draw lines, uh, but the, you know, shall we say fundamentalist tendency is to draw lines where they should not be. Mm. And uh, when you, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just drawing lines, it's, I mean, it's cutting divisions. When you cut mm -hmm. divisions between two things that really are separate, um, there's, it's not, it's not actually uh, going to um, cause a lot of problems. Um, but when you try to, you know, cut something that is living and is, is connected, you know, is, is one, and you try to divide that down the middle, well, that's, that's going to do a kind of violence. It's going to uh, rip something apart, tear something apart that 
that is not supposed to be torn apart. Mm-hmm. And so um, that that's a helpful, it's just a helpful reminder, especially when we're like, we're in this weird time of, oh man, who like, you know, where, where are the boundaries, right? Where, where are the mm-hmm. boundaries? Um, who, who can we work with on what issues? Who are we brothers with? Who are we not? Like all of those are very difficult right now. Um, because many of those boundaries and fences have broken down in, in different ways. Um, and so that's a helpful, helpful uh, heuristic from Bobby. And that's the, uh, I mean, that's just the rub of it, right? The, uh, how do we set those boundaries up? Uh, where, you know, where, where are our guidelines? Well, we have scripture, first of all, right? Scripture is the norm that norms. It is the highest authority and it is its own self-attesting authority. But we also have, uh, we also have summaries of what scripture teaches, which we hold to in the creeds and confessions. And we very much hold them as uh, accurate fair representations. Uh, they themselves don't have their own authority. Their authority, though, is derived from scripture. And this is actually uh, for our fifth point here. Um, this is uh, the nature of uh, confessions and as well as catechism, instruction and doctrine uh, from the confessions. Andrew. Yeah. Um, so as we mentioned before, Bob Inc. was a, a child of the old Christian Reformed Church in the Netherlands. This was the, the church that split off of the state church in the offshiting of 1834. Um, he was the son of a pastor. He would, have been re- he would have been raised, he would have been catechized on the Heidelberg Catechism. He would have been immersed in this Reformed theology. Um, and so I think it's important for the young, restless, and Reformed to recognize the need and the value for confessions and catechism, as well as the value of teaching them to your children. Mm. Uh, Bob had a solid foundation when he would uh, go off to the things he did later in life. So for instance, uh, when it came time for, for Bob to go to university, instead of going to the theological school at Compton, uh, where he would later teach, where his father taught the, the more conservative, uh, orthodox school, if you will, uh, he decided to go to the University of Leiden, uh, which is a university that has a great history, like uh, in the Dutch Reformation and that. But by that point, it had become very liberal, very modernized. Uh, but he wanted to go and learn that, going back to the fourth point, the engaging opponents rightly. He wanted to go learn the modern issues and problems directly from the source. So from the liberal professors in Leiden, but the foundation he had in his catechism, in his upbringing, in his commitment to the church and to the truth of scripture and to the confessions and catechisms, uh, you know, he wasn't like so many who go into a situation like that. And the next thing you know, they're, they're an apostate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he held on to that foundation because he had that foundation. And then, I mean, it sustained him not only there, but all through his life, his long academic career that came after engaging with all kinds of people from all kinds of perspectives and disciplines. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, and this point really is a, uh, you know, it's just scripture. It's scriptural principle. Uh, you think of what uh, Proverbs 22, uh, train up a child in the way in which he should go uh, so that when he is old, he would not depart from it, from, from that way. Um, Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, 19, uh, 
teach these things to your children, speaking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Uh, if we have those in the past who have uh, agreed upon these things, uh, these summaries of doctrines, let, let's, let's learn from them. Uh, as we said earlier, not going rogue, uh, not seeking to uh, carve out our own theological path, but consult the churches, consult Christians, compare these things. If you have trouble with them, compare confessions and catechisms with scripture. Usually there's uh, reference texts in there, proof texts even. Uh, compare it, wrestle with them, really struggle and see if uh, they're accurate. Compare them. And when you, the, 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 the worst you're doing is sharpening yourself uh, for proper detailed answers. But the point is, uh, I say often that if we don't catechize and that, that is just instruct our children, if we don't catechize our children, the culture will, the world will. And we're, we're kind of past a point in this, uh, in this age where uh, I mean, cultures, where, where, where the broader society is sitting idly by, mm. you know, they're, they're more than happy to go and uh, correct our children on, uh, you know, with their views of uh, sexuality and, uh, and marriage mm. uh, with what is right or wrong. But, you know, we're, we're right here and right now. Uh, kind of put in a place where we need to put up or shut up, uh, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, very much prepare our kids for when they get older and start wrestling deeply with these issues. Let them have a good foundation. But also, if, too, like thinking of the young wrestlers and reformed, you know, generally people that come to reform theology later in life, you know, before you can catechize your kids or anyone else, may need to start with catechizing yourself. Pick right. up the confessions mm -hmm. and creeds, learn them, memorize them, study them, uh, make that priority number one, uh, or at least priority number two after the scriptures themselves. But but learn these things. And then also, too, like it keeps you from some of the pitfalls that I think a lot of us in Young, Restless and Reformed dealt with. Like we were we knew the two, up, but we didn't know, like, for instance, Reformed ecclesiology or you know, doctrine of the church or other finer points of theology that, and it got a lot of us into trouble, I think in various ways. So, and, uh, so start Andrew, with yourself. And Andrew, uh, I mean, that, that's a, that's a huge thing too. When we say tulip, uh, I'm sure maybe you guys have spoken this, uh, spoken about this on uh, your show before, but uh, you know, tulip is just a 19th century acronym for the canons of Dort. That's right. Uh, and tulip is just the titles, not actually what the doctrines themselves yes. are. But further, those five points of the canons of Dort are just an explanation and defense of Belgian Confession Article 16 on election. There's a whole lot more that right. goes into it. <laughs> well, and, and even just take the canons of Dort alone. It took them to articulate what they wanted to, like 150,000 words, right? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I can do it in five sentences. It seems like there might be a little bit more than uh, those those statements. But I think if there's any one of these five that that really shares something deep at the deep with us with uh, Herman Bobbing, because I think we probably are a good different as we are not Dutch. We're not much here. Is is <laughs> is the need for catechizing ourselves and especially our children because i've often mm -hmm. said i think one of the things uh our our good reformed brethren do is they're like um you know it's the 
we're here to make the finest of all fine distinctions. And I'm like, dude, I, I love it. I'm interested in it. But we live in a day where it's like, hey, what's a woman? Let's figure that out, right? The, the, the need for like super fine distinctions is, is gone. Like we're not in a place where they're ready for those. Mm-hmm. But, but what we can do is we can catechize ourselves and catechize the next generation of the church yeah. to give them this foundation to build from. Yeah, just like our parents yeah. did for us. Yeah, and it, it's just to give, it gives you the base like categories in which to then understand the world, like natural and special revelation, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it just starts you mm-hmm. off. So this is sometimes I think that maybe, um, especially if you come from kind of like a, you know, Bible only evangelicalism, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit hard to kind of come to grips with the importance of having something like a confession. Um, and especially because there might be things that you read in, in one of the, you know, historic reform confessions or catechisms. And you're like, well, I don't know that I completely agree with this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the importance of it there is, uh, I think, just like learning it and the idea of, well, maybe you could come back and you could have a disagreement at some point. That's that's not out of the question. Um, but when you teach your children grammar, for instance, or the rules of grammar, the rules of spelling in mm-hmm. English, um, when when you start working through that, you're you teach them these general categories, right? Here here are the base general categories that you learn. Uh, and then what you learn later on is there's almost a million examples of each of these, you know, uh, little, uh, points, these, you know, grammatical points, that's going to be a little bit different, right? The fine distinctions, right? Uh, I before E except after C, except all of the cases in which, you know, it actually is not that way. And so, um, I'm not saying that's exactly the same, but I think that, that, you know, we, we don't mind teaching the broad categories in kind of a systematic way. Mm-hmm. two kids um, in other areas. It's just in this area, sometimes I, I think there's this idea of like, oh, well, maybe it'll, it'll like, you know, taint them and how they see things, or they won't mm-hmm. be able to figure it out later if they mm-hmm. decide to disagree, or if maybe if this is a little bit wrong, what if it's not quite what the Bible says, and then it's going to be difficult to understand. I just don't think that we do that in any other way. Um, it, it's mm-hmm. probably just because we don't want to be uh, kind of tied down. It's, well, it's the, it's, yeah, it's individualism. Yeah. It's the, you know, we're uh, the, the cultural view that we're for, forcing this on children. And this is the only area of life where we don't think there are things like that we, we should. And, and as the, what Caleb started with, this is exactly contrary to what the Bible commands mm-hmm. us to do with our children um, and those we have care of it, whether in your fear and ministry. Yeah, and this, this really is what uh, brings us back also into that, the same, uh, the same first points that uh, we started with earlier what is uh, what does it mean not only to be a Calvinist but to be reformed right this is uh, what what you know this is uh, a shared uh, a shared pronouncement or statement of beliefs of faith and that is by nature a confession what binds us together is the content of what we're confessing and we have that for us uh, articulated in the three forms of unity and Westminster standards and whatnot but this is also then, uh, we consider from that second point, um, theology is for the church. It has to be pastoral, in other words. So even when catechizing kids, yeah, there might be some nuances in doctrine there. Um, but at the same time, uh, nothing prohibits instruction or catechism from being uh, pastoral from, from parent to child. You know, if you, you consider these first words from the Heidelberg Catechism, it's very opening, which you may be familiar with. It asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? 
that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And that's catechesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is one of the things I love about the Heidelberg. I mean, I'm uh, very Presbyterian. I love the Westminster <laughs> standards. Uh, that's what I, you know, catechize my children in. That's what mm-hmm. I, you know, teach in our children's Sunday school. Um, but uh, one of the things I've all... I've often thought is eventually as my, you know, uh, as my kids learn, especially the shorter uh, Westminster shorter catechism, uh, once they are, uh, especially probably in their teen years, I want to walk with them through the Heidelberg. If for no other Mm -hmm. reason, then it is far more personal. It Mm -hmm. is, it's, it just is. It's Westminster is very much a systematic theology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The Heidelberg catechism is, is so personal. Uh, in, in even the response you hear there, right? I mean, it's 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 beautiful. It's great. All right, you big softy. I know. Um, <laughs> so, guys, as we uh, get ready to close out this episode, so you know, I uh, maybe maybe our listeners want to yeah start to learn a little bit from um, the professor Bovink. Is there a is there a good jumping off place uh, in reading him that you guys would kind of suggest? Yeah, I I think. Uh... Uh, for one, there is the wonderful works of God. It's his abridged one volume systematic theology. We've been walking through it on our show very slowly, um, but chapter by chapter. But that's a good starting point for Bovink. Um, another good place to start, obviously, is we've been talking about confessions, uh, read and study the three forms of unity. Um, for looking at neo Calvinism more broadly, more generally, We've mentioned a few times Abraham Kuyper, uh, another big thinker in this movement. His lectures on Calvinism, they're not terribly long, a couple hundred pages, and kind of give you a, a big overview of some of the issues that were in play in Bovink's time and others within that movement. And then, uh, Caleb, you had a couple also. Well, we could be here for a while, but uh, no, the uh, we mentioned essays on Bovink. These are kind of a little bit more intermediate, uh, so not a huge launching off point. But, you know, maybe 10 to 15 pages per essay, Hmm. a fascinating approach on various topics, um, science, politics, uh, the conscience and whatnot. Um, There's also um, wisdom and wonder. Uh, This is uh, uh, reflections on science and art from uh, Abraham Kuyper. Uh, Just another way to kind of take a look at uh, various things in culture and see this span of how uh, Abraham Kuyper might go and apply these things, uh, apply the Christian worldview uh, in these various spheres. Also, the Bible. <laughs> oh, we always take recommendations to read the Bible. I, I have been uh, that. This means I have been a faithful Reformed Christian because I recommended my sister start with the wonderful works of God, and she is mm-hmm. loving it. And so, I think it's a great. Uh, it is a great uh, systematic theology. And if you're listening to it and you are kind of not quite getting what you read, go find the episode of the Bobcast on that subject. So go check yeah. out those guys. I think you will find what they do on their show uh, interesting, especially if you want to go deeper in these subjects. So thanks guys for coming on the show today. 
No problem. We won't make it yep. clearer. We'll we'll make it more confusing, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, yeah. Congratulations on your hundred thousand downloads. Yes, it's a big accomplishment. Thank you for joining us, both listeners and hosts of the Bobcast. Make sure you go catch episodes of the Bobcast right now, wherever you're getting this podcast. And join us on Patreon for our after show with them at the purely Presbyterian level. I think that is worth the price of entry to our Patreon. Thanks. We'll catch you next week.